Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Please take your Bible. Let's uh, look at Luke's Gospel, chapter uh, 2. We, uh, Faith and I hope that you enjoy your uh, Thanksgiving dinner this week. Over in Qatar, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving Day. Uh, some of you know more than others that uh, not every country does. America, it's one of our unique heritage with the, with the pilgrims, 1620s there, uh, after the killing winter. And then the second year they they did it. Uh, Canada has a Thanksgiving Day. It's a different day than uh, our day, Uh, but uh, they don't. It's a normal work day over in the Middle East on Thursday. So uh, have a piece of apple pie and pumpkin and turkey for me. And don't tell me how good it was. I just, uh, (laughs) I do love that when faith puts the spread out. And, uh, uh, and, and, and I, I know you guys do as well. Uh, well, we want to continue in our study. I've entitled the message, Jesus, the Real Child Prodigy. Jesus, the Real Child Prodigy. Take your Bible, look at Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read from verse 39 to the end of the chapter. Verse 39, Luke chapter 2. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of God, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, that's Jesus, grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Actually, it's the word charis. The charis of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. Well, I want to submit to you that Jesus is in a league all his own. He is the real child prodigy. 
History records for us a number of amazing children, children who uh, might be called child prodigies. Now, I know every newborn, new parents with their firstborn thinks that their child is the junior Einstein, right? Oh, he's so smart. Oh, he's so, oh, she's so, well, they really aren't because they're like you <laughs> and me, right? But they seem so exceptional. And there have been some that have been <laughs> very <laughs> exceptional. And that's probably your kid, so don't get mad at me. You're always, I'm all upset now that he said that. But it, uh, it's probably, you're not in this picture, but you, you have that, and you certainly are a men's a child, right? Early in the 1700s, Louis, uh, Jean-Louis uh, Cardiac, he was known as the, uh, the wonder child. Did you know that? At three months old of age, he could recite the alphabet. That's not bad. That's pretty good, huh? And by the age of four, he could read <clears throat> uh, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Now, that's rather amazing. I'd call him an exceptional child prodigy. And then he translated Latin into English, into French. I know what you're thinking. I have enough problems with English. Ain't that right? You know, I know what you're thinking. Well, the most famous prodigy of that time was Wolfgang Mozart. He, and he was, he was brilliant beyond brilliant, if you will. He began playing the keyboard, I'm told, by ear, must have hurt, at the age of three. The keyboard. He sat down and just started playing away. I took five years of lesson, and my father would groan with all the money invested. Is that all you can do, he would say. <laughs> By the time Mozart was six, he began composing his own pieces, and the story is told that he and his sister began traveling all around Europe at six, conducting uh, concerts. <laughs> six. Imagine that. I was learning to ride a bike at six, and at eight, he wrote his first symphony. He was brilliant as far as human beings are concerned. Brilliant. Wow. Well, these children may have had and others unusual abilities, and they certainly seem to, yet I remind you they all, they all pale into insignificance compared to one 12-year-old boy named Jesus. The others disappear right off the screen. Where you see only one, only one child was the God incarnate child, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke, Dr. Luke presents the record of Jesus' first recorded words in the Bible. It's like last time we saw, it was Simeon and Anna spoke about the wonder of this child in the temple court. Remember that? And now it's uh, in his, his, uh, his writing, Dr. Luke uh, records for us Jesus' own words. Now he's going to speak uh, for himself as to who he is and what he's doing. And, uh, and so that is good for you and I to, to know. Uh, he presents, if you will, three snapshots in this account of Jesus' early years 
causing you and I to marvel at this incarnate Son of God, this real child prodigy. For I'm reminded he spent 30 years preparing for his great work. Now, they're, they're snapshots. That's all they are. And we believe that, uh, though we're not told, that Dr. Luke uh, gathered his information before he wrote to Theophilus, and he interviewed Mary. You'll see that through, that Mary treasured all these things up in her heart, and, and good men, good writers, good women through the centuries who have thought about this really believe that uh, Luke's primary source was Mary, who could give uh, an accurate account of uh, what we're looking at even here today. So there's three snapshots. That's all they are. It's like a photo album, if you will. Uh, Here I am at this age and this age and that age. Have you ever noticed that if you have a lot of kids, your first child, you have a million pictures of them. Have you ever noticed that? And by the time you get second, it's okay. Third is something. But what one do you, if you're like four, five, or six, or seven, it's like, I must have been adopted. There are, there are absolutely no pictures of me. I think they were ashamed or embarrassed of me in the family album. There's no snapshots. Oh, yes, there's one. Where is it? You know. A.T. <laughs> Robinson calls them not snapshots. He calls them glimpses. And that's not bad as we get in this little snippet of biblical truth, glimpses of the boy Jesus, the preparing Son of God, the incarnate one. Or Ken Riken, pastor at 10th Press in Philly, he writes this way, uh, in the the 70s when I was growing up, I collected baseball cards. Uh, uh, You'll like this one. He collected baseball cards, and he said what I really liked was on some of the cards, uh, they had black and white little photos of the All-Stars when they were young boys. They're in the corner. You'd have like, uh, uh, go back a few years before that, Mickey Mantle, right? And there would be a little shot of him in Oklahoma as a a 10-year-old little league slugger. And Ken Riken writes, fascinating, it was fascinating to discover that these baseball greats were once boys, in fact, little boys, and now they're Hall of Famers. And Riken goes on to say, Luke gives us the similar snapshots of Jesus in his boyhood, if you will, on the baseball card before he enters into his public ministry. And that's what we have today. I must confess, I've never heard a sermon uh, on uh, this narrative at all. In fact, I never even studied it until a class I had in seminary on the life of Christ, and I found it utterly fascinating. Well, three snapshots. Verse 39 is the first one that just deals in one verse with the infant, Jesus. And then it moves to uh, the second snapshot, verses 40 to 51. The majority of the narrative uh, is the missing episode, the missing child, Somebody lost Jesus. Can you imagine that? That sounds like an <laughs> unpardonable sin. You, you have him? No, you have him. Where is he? Oh, no. How do you find forgiveness to the Heavenly Father for that one? Think about that. And then the third snapshot of this photo album narrative or glimpse, if you will, verse 52, Jesus in the adult years in Nazareth and so on. Well, what's the first snapshot teach us? 
Well, in verse 39, the infant years of Jesus show us a child who is growing in every way, in every single way. Jesus did not, and I should correct because uh, church history really uh, messed this up with some of the writings in wrong Greek philosophy, and they taught, well, Jesus really didn't have a human body. He was a phantom-like. It just sort of appeared like that. No, I'm sorry, that's not correct. He had a real body. And uh, we'll discover in every way he was human as you and I, and as you and I went through the development phases, humanly, physically, uh, so did Jesus, apart from sin. He did not have a sin nature, but he grew just like we did. Well, in verse 39, when Jesus and Mary had done everything required of the law, referring to the previous verse, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now, it's interesting to me, and A, that in time, as uh, Joseph and Mary moved back to their town of Nazareth, that Luke didn't mention some of the events that took place at this time that uh, some of the other gospel writers mentioned. Well, like what? Well, he doesn't mention the adoration of the Magi that came to Bethlehem uh, to, uh, to worship this one who was king, born king. Uh, he didn't mention that. He didn't mention also then that Herod, that maniac of a, of a, of a uh, governor, he called himself king and wanted to be thought king, but he was a Roman provincial governor, slaughtered the babies there in Bethlehem, doesn't mention that. And, and also, just prior to their, their slaughter, doesn't mention what's called the flight into Egypt. When most, uh, Joseph and Mary, uh, they had been warned in a dream, and they took uh, the Lord as a, as a newborn, uh, a youngborn, and went to Egypt until the coast was clear, until Herod was dead. Uh, it reminds us uh, he's not writing a biography of Jesus. Uh, Luke very well knew that the other gospel accounts, particularly Matthew, included these things, and, and for his purpose in writing, uh, uh, making clear uh, the gospel, uh, uh, the certainty of it to Theophilus and to us. He didn't feel it was necessary to be redundant what was also already given uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew. So he, he admits that. But B, look, Luke then summarizes Jesus' childhood uh, by compressing 12 years into one verse. That's uh, verse 39. 12 years, because the next verse we find he's 12 years old. I don't know a whole lot about computers. I know a little bit that I knew, know, and that's what I do with it. But the, I see occasionally you can compress things on your computer. I don't know if there's a little guy on the inside squeezing the data that I'm typing in, compressing it somehow uh, in hyper uh, compression or whatever that is. Sounds like it has the bends. I don't know what it means. But uh, it's compressed. Isn't it amazing how 12 years of his life are compressed in one verse? I thought about that. You know, the longer you, uh, uh, not the longer you live, the longer you're gone after you have lived, meaning you're dead, the shorter the things that are said about you. Did you ever think about that? I, I often read the obituaries, no, not to see if I'm in there, though some days I feel like death that just woke up. 
but I look at it, and I, I like to read it and see uh, what people write and all that kind of thing. But isn't it amazing that the longer they're dead, even great people that did great things, they'll get a sentence or two or three, and you know how it ends up. Your life becomes nothing. You talk about compression, it becomes a hyphen, right? Ever go to a cemetery? It's got a date and a date and a hyphen. What's the hyphen? You say, that's your life. Talk about compression. Here, Jesus' 12 years are compressed at least into one sentence, into one verse. And uh, in it, it's chock full of stuff that, that reminds us that he grew uh, as, as we did. How did he grow? Uh, in two ways. He grew physically, and second, he grew spiritually. The text says that he, be, he grew and became strong. He had a real body, just like us. Like any infant, uh, Jesus, as the young child, babe, went through the normal physical development uh, as, uh, as you and I did. Uh, he uh, imagined his parents marking his growth on the kitchen door of the pantry. If you were to grow up in our household, that was uh, the Zabolski practice. Boy, you're getting taller. Line up there, and we'll mark the door. And uh, we marked it as uh, Sarah, David, and Jonathan, and the boys finally eclipsed their old man and, uh, and put the date down, just wrote on the door and, and never painted. That became very precious to us. We'd open that door, and people would say, well, what in the world is that? And that's the mark of growth as our kids were uh, growing up. Some of their friends actually got onto that door somehow. Honey, I don't know how that happened. But they wanted to join in, and we see their heights there as well. Do you know we, that door no longer hangs from those hinges? But you know what? It's down in our basement in the back. I can barely see it with all the other stuff, but it's still marked with evidence that uh, they actually did physically grow. Now, if they had put me on there, I reached the peak, and now I'm on the decline side. I don't know why that is. I'm shrinking. I'm, uh, they say it's gravity or loss of fluid, or I like to think I'm getting smarter, and it's weighing me down, you know? <laughs> the downhill side. Well, Jesus grew. At two, he was here. At four, and he grew. And so you got to get the right picture. He was really a human being, just like us. He cried, he crawled, he suckled at his mother's breast, he learned to stumble, then finally walk, he became a teenager. Oh, a teenager. Oh, my. But Mary could never call him, if you think about it, always in the terrible twos. It is something about two-year-olds, isn't there? I was terrible, my mother said it too, and beyond. But you could never say that about Jesus. He was, he was not terrible uh, at all. Now let me say something. There were a number of things that were written that were spurious at that time. They were the apocryphal writings about the boy Jesus. Listen, he was not Superboy. Some of you like Superman. I used to read the Clark Kent, you know, stop a bullet, isn't that great? x-ray vision, throw the bad guys around. You know, I love that. Then they came out with Superboy. Do you ever see that? I mean, he'd lift up the sofa couch and uh, cars and buses and as a little boy like that. 
that, that was not Jesus. There were some that taught. He had a human body, uh, and he had uh, God's mind, and he had strength. And some of these apocryphal false writings write about Jesus this way. He got, he got upset at a playmate, and so he, uh, he rebuked him and hurt him, and the parents uh, yelled at him, and he killed them. And it's, it's like, this is trash. What is that? That wasn't him at all. You'd read it and you go like, instantly, it's a counterfeit. That's why you and I need to know the original, like a good banker, right? They study what the original bill looks like, what it feels like, what it looks like. Now let's study all the counterfeits. So then when you pull the counterfeit, you're like, whoa, this thing doesn't feel like, smell right, look right. Phony is a $3 bill, and it is. So that's not the Lord at all. He had a... He grew. He grew physically. And, and verse 39 tells that. But he also grew spiritually. He was filled, uh, Dr. Luke tells us, with wisdom. And God's favor, his blessing, his grace, it's a word for grace, charis, was upon him. He was growing intellectually, unimpaired, unhindered by a sin nature. You know, they say we only use 10% of our brain in declining. Right. Unimpaired, unhindered, uh, R.C. calls it unimpeded with a sin nature. Now, you say, how come I couldn't figure out biology? Well, because the effects of sin uh, uh, affected your cranial, cranial gray matter, and you couldn't remember. You couldn't, you couldn't learn it. Like We are affected by that. And the Lord... Uh, was in the likeness at this point of Adam, without sin, brilliant in every way, used not 10%, but 100% of his gray matter, growing. Talk about photographic memory. Didn't we always envy those folks? You say, oh, they just look at that page of calculus, and that's all. And they, they remembered it forever. I knew a couple of people that were pretty bright that way and could do that. And I often thought, oh, rats, i got to study it and rewrite it and burn it into my memory. And then two days later, I forgot everything I learned. You know, I learned it for the exam. <laughs> How about it if exams were given about, you know, 30 days after the fact, too? Oh, boy. Anyway, it's up there somewhere. Incidentally, they tell me you always remember everything you ever learned. But uh, what we have is a filing problem. You can't retrieve it. It's kind of lost there somewhere. Lost, that's a good word for it. But not with the Lord Jesus. He was able to learn unimpaired. He submitted to learning the various laws, get this, that he himself had created. Think about that one. That'll blow your mind. He created the world and everything in it. He holds it together. But in his great humility, he subject himself to, to strictly the cranial manner of his human nature, not his divinity. Jesus was taught things he did not know. Think about that. When he was two years old, he didn't know the law of gravity. He didn't know calculus. He didn't know microbiology or microchemistry. He didn't know any of that. He had to grow and exercise and discipline his, his mind so that he would grow. So there's encouragement. It's unimpeded by his sin nature, uh, unhindered by that, but he had to learn. 
What a statement. What a quiz that would be. Did Jesus ever have to learn anything? Aha, that's a trick question. Mm, God is great and he is not. But it's a statement of his humility and his incarnation that he didn't uh, use his divine attribute, but depended upon the Spirit of God for all things as a pattern for us. Well, he was taught things he didn't know. He observed with a keen eye. He learned. He remembered. Oh, he did. And he applied. That's wisdom. Using knowledge in the most and the best appropriate way. That was the growing boy Jesus there in Nazareth. Wow. Wow, what potential. You know, did you ever get tired of your parents or a teacher who, who saw something you would say, you have such great potential. You do. You just, the potential's enormous. You could go anywhere, do anything, right? And I grew up in a home where I was encouraged that way, and I appreciate that. My folks really felt that and, and set the uh, culture in our family that you could go and do anything you want. How hard do you want it? How hard do you want to work? Your potential is enormous. I remember uh, even in our own kids, uh, one of them would say, I'm so tired of people saying, you have such great potential. He said to me once, well, now you know it's one of the two. He said, when will that ever kick in? <laughs> I'm so tired of hearing, I have potential. When will it be actual? <laughs> Jesus' potential, unhindered, unabated by sin nature, his keen observation, his ability to learn and to remember and to apply, unhindered, unbelievable. I'm telling you, mystery, and this is what we're talking about when we talk about the combination of the divine nature and the human nature together, no mixture of the two together, and yet the Lord totally leaning on and living in his human nature, in his real human body, in the hypostatic union. I'm telling you, mystery is the footprint of the divine. Don't ever think you've got to figure it all out. You can't. You'll short circuit. And you and I just got off the bus anyway a couple years ago. And we don't even know how gravity works. Oh, we can begin to describe it. Or electromagnetism, I have no idea. Or even how in the basic atom, why the electrons just don't just all fly apart. What is a centripetal force anyway? And why doesn't the nucleus just... We think we're so educated. Be careful about that. Mystery is the footprint of the divine. God who made more stars in the universe than we could ever count. And every one of them are unique. Did you know that? That's what it means. He names them, each one. When you name something in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, it means you gave it its characteristic. And every one of them is different. I mean, some of the planets, just for God's amusement and our joy, uh, the moons go in opposite direction. You can't explain that in the world of physics. I mean, some are going this way, but some are going this way, and some are going this way and spinning the other way. And God said... You want to see? I just made that because I just enjoy it, and it's beautiful. And uh, you think, isn't that neat? That's how great God is. Mystery is the footprint of the divine, and we see it here in the development of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. The, his, he, 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 uh, his intellect advanced at full capacity. 
He was never lazy. Can you ever conjure that up in your mind? Jesus, I don't feel like doing it. No, never lazy. He achieved maximum potential of the human mind, and he, had a, he was the real prodigy. Let me give you a sense of how he learned in reading some of J. Oswald Sanders' excellent writings. Uh, I thought you might just be interested in these early years as typical education uh, there in Nazareth. First, uh, Jesus in these 12 years would have learned much at the knee of his mother. Reminds me of Winston Churchill when they wrote uh, his uh, biography and they asked uh, him to peruse it, and uh, he came back and was upset at the, his writer and said, you've omitted my very greatest teacher. Uh, and they said, horrified, they said, well, who? He said, you left my mother out. Most everything that I ever needed to learn, she taught me. Everything else was window dressing. And Jesus would have learned at the knee of his mother Mary. She would have uh, typically would teach him to sing the Psalms that are in our Bible, instruct him in the Hebrew law and history as a youngster in the home. And then Nazareth was a large enough village that it had a school, and typically they were called the house of the book. And Jesus, yes, at six years old, would be sent to the house of the book uh, to study. The synagogue rulers, you would think of them as the pastors, they were the teachers. And up to the age of 10, the Old Testament scriptures would have been the only textbook, the scrolls. And for five years, five years, think of this, we're trying to learn a verse here. Oh, I can't do it. For five years... He would, he would memorize the Old Testament, especially the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they would begin in Leviticus, which was the first book to be studied. And I can see him as a young boy having a growing conviction as he studied all the sacrifice, the growing conviction that he would become the Lamb of God, a growing awareness of that as he would grow into manhood. Amazing. And then at age 13, he would become bar mitzvah. He would become one of the sons of the commandments. He would be robed in the garments of a man. He would no longer wear the childhood childhood, uh, clothing of a boy. For at 13, he would have all the rights and privileges as an adult man. He would have probably spoken, read and written as well, Aramaic, the trade language of the day, Hebrew and Greek, and he would have written and spoke and read that flawlessly, I'm sure. It was his custom, Luke 4.16, he always, always went to synagogue, even there in Nazareth. And finally, you should know that it was a requirement for all Jewish fathers to make sure their sons had a trade, that they would be able to work with their hands to support themselves vocationally. And that's why Jesus became, like his stepfather, Joseph, a carpenter. We'll talk more about that. Well, what do we learn from this, uh, the infant years? Well, number one, that Jesus, believe me, understands what it's like to go through all the growing pains of life. And sometimes they can be just that, right? Painful. Painful. And yet we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our weakness, and knows what it is to 
to live life as we do, yet without sin. So be encouraged by that. Uh, if you're lonely, he knows what that is. Uh, if uh, the body sort of doesn't work in some ways, you know, I can't crawl, I keep falling, I this and that, or coordination with the hands, ear and eye, as you grow in body and form. All of that, the Lord went through all the phases of that. Be encouraged. He knows all about that. And we have a sympathetic high priest who understands when we cry out to him through the growing pains of life. I, I love that. We have a God who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our weakness, our brokenness, even our bereavement. I see him weeping there in his ministry years at Lazarus' tomb. I ask God, what a story. It's not God some faraway place. It's God who has come down, was human in every way, even like us, yet without sin. There's something gloriously beautiful about that. God doesn't save us far away, but he gets right down next to us, like us. And second thing we learn by that you have to say is what humility. What humility that our creator should go to such lowly depths to save us. Wow. And it should tell us that humi humility ought to be what we are. We ought to be humble, lowly. Uh, it simply means, don't, and it's not a false sense of I'm dirt, I'm dirt, how are you, I'm dirt today. No, not that, but please. But you just in your right mindset realize we're mortal, we're sinful, saved, growing in grace, called to serve. Um, and we're here for a very brief time and really not able to do a whole lot. And so we recognize that we need him every moment of every day. Humility. Well, what's the second glimpse? Not only the infant years, but uh, verses 40 to 51, we read them. Uh, the second snapshot in this photo album of the uh, pre-ministry, pre-years uh, of Jesus, the missing 12-year-old boy narrative teaches us much about him. Now, this is, uh, this is uh, the only event of Jesus' life that Luke tells us of during his first 30 years where Jesus actually says and, and does something. By him picking this, it shows its significance and its uh, imp importance for us. Uh, A, of, of all the things that happened to Jesus during his boyhood years, this one event, this one event most clearly declared his destiny. Riken tells us that. Going to Jerusalem for the Passover for the annual event with his family must have been a high point. Did you ever go on vacation to uh, 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 the big city? Or, or I remember going as a boy to Toronto uh, in the uh, summer, August. They'd have the Toronto Exhibition. And uh, it was a great fair up there in Lake Ontario. And uh, it, was, it was so much fun, you know. It, the rides, the exhibitions... Uh, you know, the corn dogs, the cotton candy, uh, all of that, the water races out on that. And just to go there and you see all of these throngs of people, uh, it, uh, it's exciting uh, to go and see it. I guess 
It'd be like the county fair in some places. If you grew up in a rural area, that's a, that's a big time of the year. The Iowa State Fair, huge. The Indiana State Fair in the 4-H, big time. Uh, if, if you're sort of out and about, the once a year you, you come in and see people you hadn't seen. and Big event for, uh, for uh, Jesus as a young boy to come. And he might have had the run of the city. You see some of his friends he hadn't seen. We often don't think of Jesus having childhood friends. We did. I'm sure he did. In Nazareth and, and maybe uh, family friends and cousins. I mean, there were cousins everywhere there, right? They'd be in Jerusalem. There, hey, there's cousin uh, Moshi over there and all the rest, you know. So they would pretty well uh, have the run of the city, if you will, for the eight days of the Passover and the Feast of the Tabernacles. I mean, the city was, uh, was crammed with hundreds of thousands of people who had gathered for Passover and hundreds of thousands of sheep for the slaughter. Now, Jesus was 12 years old. It was the year before he would be bar mitzvah. And so it was a very important time in his life. He would go there and uh, particularly take notice of what was going to happen to him next year when he was 13. I've stood there at the Wailing Wall in that area and watched uh, 13-year-old uh, Jewish boys be bar mitzvah there with all the regalia and the, uh, and the rabbis. Uh, uh, they were orthodox, but uh, to see the different ceremony, I can close my eyes and see two or three of them going on uh, at the same time as he's reading from the Torah, the young 13-year-old, uh, as I bore witness and next year, Jesus would be one of these sons of the commandment. Will be after eight days, all right? They're there, then they leave uh, hordes of Galileans. That's where Nazareth is, up north, about 80 miles away. Uh, they uh, would begin to uh, caravan. They didn't have airplanes. You didn't go down to uh, Harrisburg Airport or BWI and take off. Uh, they didn't have stagecoach, and they didn't ride horseback. It's not the wild, wild west, right? And there was no shuttle, no cars, sorry, no electric cars, no mopeds. What is that one thing? I like, I like to try that thing. You lean on it and it kind of, what is it? Yeah, Segway. Anybody ever try that? Anybody? I'd like to try that. No Segways. Nope, somebody did. Someone was waiting. Oh, Ken, you try Is it fun? I like to try that. None of that stuff. They walked. How about that? They walked, and they walked in large numbers. Now think of it. It was like a family reunion time, you know. And uh, as they would make their way down and go uh, walk the eighty miles, which was several nights, they would camp along the way. They'd stay together because they're wild a- animals and wild thieves that would rob them. So they would go together, hordes of people. It would be very typical as I read, uh, that the women and children would be in the front, and, you know, and they'd be talking about all the womenly things that women talk about, right? And, and the kids, and the, the guys would be dragging up the tail, walking, talking about the, you know, the Buffalo Bills and how they're going to do this year, and they fired the coach this week, so things are looking up, and, uh, you know, Penn State won, all these, all these things, you know, it's, are the Steelers going to win today? You know, all the things, that, the deep things, you know, that the men talk about. How you doing? Great. Oh, good. You know. 
Well, that's how they went. And oftentimes, uh, you know, the, the cousins were they're running around and all the rest as they walked uh, north to Galilee. And so uh, as, as they made their trek, um, uh, they, uh, uh, they realized after one day, they probably came to the point where they were going to camp, or it wasn't Boy Scout camping, but they were going to sleep, and they regathered as an immediate family, and the son that never gave them a problem. Now, can you imagine that? I can't even imagine that. Was lost. Well, that's amazing. The son that never gave them a problem was lost. Jesus was lost, at least out of their, uh, their vicinity. Can there be anything more frightening than losing a child? Really, th- you think about it. Um, it's a terrifying experience, isn't it? As a parent, some of you are parents. Some of you look like, well, that never happened to me. It did to us. I told you before, once we, we were all together, faiths, mom and dad and sister and all that, and we were in, I think we were in a couple cars. And you remember those funny station wagons where the back bench seat looked out the back window? You remember that? They're kind of, kind of funny looking now. But that's where Faith and I were sitting. Pop was driving, and we got three benches and kids everywhere. And, and we all piled in a car or two, and then we took off from the restaurant. And we're driving down away, and we're, we were pops driving. We're happy, giddy. You know, after you eat, you're happy and all. And, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, uh, where, where's Sarah? And we real, it dawned on us we didn't have our Sarah. Oh, my goodness sakes. Faithy starts crying. Pop almost had an accident doing a UB. You know, we dawned on us. We left her at the restaurant, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and we finally came back, and uh, she's outside on the sidewalk, probably about yay high, and she looked like she'd seen a ghost, and we came running up to her, hugging her, and all she kept saying was, you left me. <laughs> you left me. That's like forever etched on my head, you know, in my heart. I had to turn in my parent badge. I was worthless at that point. The other time I remember was with Jonathan. He's a little older. But uh, Faith and I would drive to church separately, and uh, uh, oftentimes I'd be detained, and she went home to start dinner, and then I came walk in the house, and she said, "Uh, uh, where's Jonathan? I said, isn't he with you? (laughs) <laughs> she said, no, you were supposed to bring him. <laughs> and uh, which I went back and he was sitting on the curb there in front of the church. <laughs> so I, 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 I really understand a little bit more here than, than, than maybe otherwise, but uh, it, it is very distressing to, uh, to misplace a child. And I can understand those funny parents, though I would never do it, that in the mall they walk around, they tie their kids up with these elastic things. You know, I understand they're hard in that thing, but the kid runs about 20 feet up there and they get to the end of the elastic and it snaps them back, you know. You know, it's a funny thing, you know, but uh, I, and we never did that. It looks sort of, you know, it's that child abuse. I don't know. But, it, uh, but I understand at least that way you don't lose them. Well, they lost him. They, and then they made the trek back to Jerusalem. They were a day out, a day back, and that's why the text says, and the, and the Greek is, on the third day, meaning the third day was missing, 
they were looking all over the place in Jerusalem. It's a durative in a sense. It wasn't they just walked into the temple. They couldn't find him anywhere, and sort of like finally they went into the temple, and there's Jesus. He's sitting in the temple. He's learning. He's listening to the rabbis. He's using the rabbinical style of ask a question. The rabbis would answer. Then there'd be a follow-up question, and that's what was going on in this, in this setting. Well, Mary utters a mild complaint to Jesus. Why have you treated us as this? which uh, then Luke records his first words that tell us that he knew who he was and he knew what his mission in life would be. He says with some, it's almost a simple naivety, did you not know, his first words, that I had to be in my father's house? Did you not know that? Now, Riken tells us, you know, you might be wondering, was this sin on Jesus' part? You should know a couple of things. that uh, uh, Jesus did not sin against his parents. He didn't disobey any of their instructions that had been given to him about when to be and where to be there. He, he did not. His answer was not being a smart, alecky answer. You know what that is. I've seen my father move pretty quick when he sensed that my brother and I were given a smart aleck response. You can almost sniff that right out. And I never thought my father could move that fast at those points either. No, it wasn't that. He was frankly amazed that his earthly parents did not know where to find him. They were only his earthly parents, but uh, his real father was in heaven in his growing awareness, even at this point, it's full bloom. He realized that he was God's son and that he was to be about his father's business. And he loved his father. And so if that special place was the presence of his father, he yearned to be there in the temple, according to the text. And that's the account here uh, of it. Well, this was the first time... Anyone had dared to refer to God as my father. That's a whole other study. In the Old Testament, you'll never find it uh, my father. It's always in the plural, our father. It indicates a special relationship. But notice then, the text tells us in obedience, in obedience, he went down in verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. That is, to Mary and Joseph. Uh, and so, in obedience to his parents, he went with them. What humility. And the curtain falls on his childhood at age 12. And he would be silent, uh, at least according to the text, for 18 more years. Not another word would be said. He is the perfect example of submission. Even though he was far greater than his parents or anyone else. He voluntarily submitted to the God-ordained authorities. Wow. Well, what do we learn from this? First of all, your relationship to the Lord is your, your priority relationship in your life. Did you know that? That is the priority relationship in your life. It's not your maid if you're married. It's not your parents. Not your children. Some people say, well, my children are everything. It's not your grandchildren. 
your priority relationship in life. Jesus, at 12 years old, by his own example, teaches us this, is God. I told you before, I'll say it again, when Faithy's mother was dying of leukemia, she lived about five years longer than Pop. And I said to her, uh, because when Pop died in 99, we didn't know how she would do. He was her all. She depended upon him for everything. She didn't hardly even drive. And she did so well. She continued teaching the ladies' Bible study. She, uh, she as, as a widow, uh, and as she was in her last months of death, I just wanted to tell her how much we loved her and how proud we were of her. And I said, you know, uh, Mom, I said, you lost the love of your life. And you continue to serve and, and be a blessing. And I've told you that. She said to me, oh, I never lost the love of my life. Oh, I love Bud. She called Pop Bud. But the love of my life has always been Jesus. And you know, that's what it ought to be for us. It's our relationship with the Lord that ought to be number one. Number one. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. That's number one. Jesus, even as a young boy, loved his Father and had a growing awareness of him. And it reminds us of just that. Well, number one. Number two, the second thing we learn is we're to be obedient in life to God's authority figures. You see, in a day of antinomianism and, and rebellion and, and all of that, it's a rejection of God's uh, authority structure. You know, God gives us that for protection. Do you know that? And uh, we are to teach us to our children, and we are to practice that ourselves. We're not independent agents. We're not free agents. We're not. Everyone is under some authority. And it's for protection. Like You say, like how? Well, Jesus submits to his parents, goes down to Nazareth for 18 more years. Like, like how? Well, uh, you have, uh, and I have authority structure with parents in our junior years. You know, the teens will say, well, what's God's will for me? It's real simple. Obey your parents. That's God's will. It's real simple. Say it again, obey your parents, Ephesians 6. God has not made a mistake in putting you in the family you're in. God is going to work through your parents. It's for your protection. Don't come out from under that. If you do, you're going to suffer for it. It's God's blessing to you. And even if they're unsaved, I grew up in that environment and saw that it was even the will of God, that God would speak through my father, and he did very dearly. How about in marriage? Don't often hear about it, especially in a day that doesn't even see any distinction between male and female or husband and wife. Well, God hasn't changed his opinion on it. Men, God holds the man as the leader in the family. That means you're the chief lover and the chief servant. But you are to provide spiritual and physical protection for your wife. You said that at your wedding, at least if I married you, you did. At least you coughed it up so I didn't know what I was saying. No, you did. I was there and we witnessed it. Yes, 
That's marriage. How about uh, to your boss? You know, we are to work as unto the Lord, and we owe them an honest day's labor for an honest day's pay, for we work as unto the Lord. How about in church? You know, there's authority structure in the church. I don't care what pastor says. He's a nut anyway. You know, be careful. That may be true, but God's Word is true, right? And a pastor who's really God's man loves you and watches for your soul because I have to give an account. And that's why I prayed for just about all of you by name, even this morning, early. And anything I knew that might be happening. So here's a tip. Slip things on that I can pray for you in your life. If I don't know anything, it's more generic. But I have to give an answer to that. I watch for your soul. So when I preach the Word of God, it's just like, ah, he, he slipped on a wet noodle and he's not right, you know? Well, that may be, but God's Word is right. And we are to obey those in the church structure. And then in government. Oh, we don't like to talk about that. But they're God's servants as well in civil areas. Not all areas, civil areas. And so they're to be a terror to evildoers. I'm glad they're there to get the bad guys and, uh, and to promote uh, the common good of our, of our day. There's authority structure. There is in life. And uh, Jesus, I'm so glad it's included. If, if that little phrase wasn't there after uh, the mild question of Mary to him is answer, and we didn't know it, we'd be like, well, I wonder what happened after that. And here he is, the Son of God incarnate, submits himself to the parental authority and goes back to Nazareth. Well, quickly, let's look at the last glimpse or photo snapshot here, number three, of Jesus in the earlier years. These are the silent years in verse 52. For the text tells us, And Jesus then grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. Third snapshot is Jesus' adult years in Nazareth, and they reveal the need for preparation. Here's the thing. Jesus spent ten times longer preparing for his public ministry than he did in the ministry itself. Thirty years preparing for a three-year public ministry to do the greatest work that was ever done, the work of the cross. Preparation. In a day that likes to shortchange it, cut it short, if you will, the Lord's life shouts to us, there is a place to prepare yourself for what God wants you to do. And they're not wasted years. Sometimes we treat it that way. They're not. They really aren't. They're important. I had a professor in seminary used to say, look, it's kind of like this. Get used to it. You kind of take the first half of your life preparing for what you're going to do in the second half, and that's it. If you live a full life, you're always learning, but it's sort of that way. So don't be in a rush in the preparation. If you shortchange the preparation, you're probably going to be shortchanged in what you're able to do or what you could really have done in the latter years. That really helped me. You know, that really did. And Jesus, he illustrates that. A, during the hidden years, he grew. 
B, he worked with his hands as a carpenter. He did construction. Did you know that? As a carpenter, he built homes. He built yokes for the farmers. Uh, He built cabinets. Probably worked with stone as well. Isn't it ironic that the creator of all did construction work? It was the will of the Father. He wasn't sitting in some castle in royal robes waiting for the big day to come. He could have. God could have orchestrated anything for his son. But he made him a laborer, a worker, an artisan with carpenter, carpentry. And do you think it was good enough, as, or close enough, as good enough was his policy? I don't think so. I think if he hung a door in your house, it was true, and it worked beautifully. And the, and the yoke for your oxen was fit those oxen and didn't rub them and cause a callus as they pulled the plowshare in the field. I think he was renowned at what he did. Everything was square and true and finished, and, and, it, and it was he didn't rip people off. You know, oh, they gave me an extra 20. I won't tell them, you know, or, or otherwise. I'm telling you, I love the fact that he was a working man. Uh, He uh, did physical work. He's the working man's friend, and his standard was perfection. Well, you may feel that that, uh, um, uh, what do we learn from this quickly? Jesus exemplified physical work. It's good to work and to find joy in it, no matter what kind it is. He's the working man's friend. And the standard was perfection. And we ought to strive to do our very best as well. Number two, you may feel your life and work is also hidden. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. All these years to prepare what seems like a waste, be encouraged. They're not a waste. God knows all about it, and he's ordering your steps. Wow. And one last that you didn't have on your sheet. Again, preparation time. Though it's long, it's not a waste. It's not a waste. So take your time. Prepare. Do it well. Learn the lessons in the classroom. Learn the lessons in Votech and in the lab and in the field. Learn them and work hard at it and do it well. For God, you don't know how he'll use that in the days to come, and you'll be amazed. You really will you'll be amazed at how God will bring that and use that in the latter part of your life. Well, there's been some amazing children born, no question, and I'm sure you'd say, well, mine's one of them. But Jesus, I submit to you, was the real child prodigy, the sinless incarnate Son of God who grew in a real body and grew in wisdom and statute and in favor with God and with man. 